Me and the great Dove Davidoff are coming up to see you at the Funny Bone, June 18th and 19th. You've been warned, Albany, capital of New York, Philadelphia, PA, Helium Comedy Club. I'm coming, June 25, 26, 27. It will be good. It will be special. Hartford, Connecticut, Funny Bone, July 30th, 31. Get your tickets, Hartford, Connecticut. Funny Bone, I'll see you soon. June 26th, I'll be at Soul Joe's Cafe in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So I'm very excited about that. Craig Shoemaker was telling me about that. So pretty pumped. And August 5th through the 8th, this is a little bit down the line, but I'll be there. Side Tampa, splitters. Florida, side splitters. If I may ask. Who Mike, you may audience? not. Sorry, what were you asking, Brian? <laughs> What's yes, that? what was it? Who is your audience? Here, young men. You know, 18 to 36, so maybe we'll ask. Well, I thought we'd ask you some advice. You're 81. Is there any any, uh, geographic focus? No. I mean, well, well, believe it or not, we have uh, viewership in Ireland, Australia, Scotland, England, uh, all the English-speaking countries. Oh, a psychographic focus. Is is this... (laughs) all phds or it's nothing oh, but they all struggle out of fourth grade or yeah somewhere in between yeah somewhere in between we're big at the university of phoenix and devry um they really <laughs> eat it DeVry. up end of rye um steve what's uh what's going on let's uh let's get into this man and then we'll bring big mike in yeah okay, we're on. yeah we're rolling yeah. right so, now another episode of big and hungry it is what what episode is this do we even know what number this is it depends when we release it, but it could be 17, 18. 17 or 18. Ooh. Still going strong. Ooh. We're going to keep this son of a bitch up on, on the wall here, but uh, I guess I'll revolve pictures. You're getting bored already. It's no, I mean, no it's know. okay. Cliff Richards, ladies and gentlemen, brought to you by Cliff Richards. He's one of our sponsors. <laughs> He's one of our sponsors. There'll be no money, but there will be total love on your on your uh, desk. something to look forward to. That's right. Now, Steve, what'd you do last night? I uh, went to the comedy store. Went to the comedy store, did a show. Good to see everybody. I haven't been inside the store since, you know, pre-pandemic. Yeah. So it was uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was a little been... disheartening not seeing Jeff Scott over in the corner. Yeah. Playing me on. The and, great uh, Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott passed away uh, during uh, during COVID uh, of a heart attack, I believe. Was it a heart attack? And, uh, I love that guy. Yeah, he, had, he, he had struggled. He had HIV for a long time. Yeah, and, and his uh, name was not Magic Johnson. His name was not Magic Johnson, who so he couldn't. Who seems to be just fine. Yeah, it's been twenty five years since he's had HIV. See when when did Magic Johnson come down with HIV? I want to see how long that guy's lived with it. In the words now, of the now great, thanks to Western medicine, everybody, and protease inhibitors. Well, when you I get think... HIV, you can literally almost not go on medication because the virus has been compromised so often with these cocktails. That uh, look at 1991. this, dude. Nineteen ninety one. In the words of my great friend Gareth Reynolds, only a man with the name Magic Johnson could you defeat HIV and AIDS. You are correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, great strides in medication. Uh, anything else? Anything else? You I thought we'd talk about AIDS for a while. I was in San Antonio, Texas, and I got hit by a locust when I was on stage, <laughs> and there was a locust storm, and it was August. 
The first time I ever went there. How about that? I remember that? the last time you went there, you said you want to... <laughs> Sorry. You want to open your own comedy club in Texas called Ye Ha 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 Ha. <laughs> Steve, that's good. That's good humor. Steve, my father. Now I haven't really mentioned that Big Mike. So Big Mike so is stupid. at eighty-one years old. Is uh, turned eighty-one yesterday. I thought I'd bring him on. We'd get some advice. He seems to be tickled pink by your jokes. <laughs> he he, he was actually he staring off. He was staring off because he couldn't be more bored with everything right now. He said sixty you, minutes of this. Shit. You made that joke, and he kind of just looked over at me, and the, the look at me was. What am I fucking doing here? I didn't want to say that joke, but I I was like, all right, well, okay. it's actually as stupid as it is. Yeehaw. It's kind of a good joke. <laughs> How are you, sir? <laughs> he won't even talk to me. He won't even talk to me. Come on, he I had three. Just, I had three no, ringers I mean, the last I, time I, you bring joined that, us. Bring that mic closer. Can you bring that mic closer? How, okay, how are his Here levels? It's okay. fine. I turned it up. At okay. my age. Which I turned 81 yesterday, and I'm going to tell you one little anecdote about that. But at my age, you say a lot of things that you know you don't mean. <laughs> at your age, you still think you mean them. Uh, and, you know, but society has got to have that protocol. Yeah. I have been in societies where there was no such protocol, and it it's chaotic. It doesn't work. It distracts people to the point that they can't get anything meaningful done or communicated because they're constantly wondering if the other person is hostile and is going to attack them and so forth. So we have to have these rules that we all pay attention to. And when you're young, younger than you guys are, you flirt with the idea well, of, I don't, have to, I don't have to stand up when a woman comes into the room. I still do that. Sure. I still do that. Yeah. When I sit down and have dinner with a group like yesterday, I wait for everyone to get there. And I have been associated with people. In fact, even my brother, that you have too, that don't pay any attention to that. That is a bad thing, even though you don't realize it at your age. And I'm sure the people we're talking to don't understand well, protocol They will someday. If they never manners. do understand that, yeah. they, they have lost. Protocol and manners. I had a, a well. That's part of protocol. The guy who who did the, uh, the great ideas of philosophy. He's mm -hmm. he's one of the leading scholars in philosophy and psychology. Teaches at Oxford University. Yeah. And he he I got him on the podcast when he was seventy eight. He was having heart issues, and and I said you know everything. I mean his his breadth of knowledge is astonishing, right? Mm -hmm. Like some people just their their life is to read everything that's been written. And to read, so if you were to take Nietzsche and read everything by Nietzsche, he read everybody who influenced Nietzsche. That's what these right. scholars do, right? So it's just his breadth of knowledge is beyond what we can imagine. And he's on the far end what's of the What's the point, Brian? And I said, what is the point? I said to him, what's the point? I said, what, <laughs> yeah. do you, what have you learned? He goes, I suppose staring at your shoes from time to time and realizing that there are things that are much bigger than you are out there, regardless of where you've come. And good manners. Good manners are always very important. Well, the, I thought, geez, well, you're very, you're very, you were raised that way. Well, what's the old manners maketh the man? And yeah. uh, I, I think that society has lost a sense of decorum. I agree with you. I'm somebody who my father, you know, when you meet somebody, you shake them hand, shake the hand, look them in the eyes. When a woman enters room, you stand up, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't eat until everybody gets their food at a restaurant. Uh, You're you've always been impeccable with your manners, and your kids are that way. Your kids are so. Kid Dynamite and I always talk about how well mannered your kids are. Like the first first ten minutes, my girlfriend said, "I love his children." 
Oh, well, but because you. they're they're just so well mannered, man. But it's all from my father. My father taught me all those things. He instilled them to me. I mean, every time if I didn't do, you know, what was <laughs> according to the, you know, the, the rules of manners, he would he would just kind of chide me. So to this day, he still opens the door for my mom everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. we go. And I, well, on the way over here, Brian said, <clears throat> we want to talk about some rules that you at the age of 81 have learned. So I gave him one sentence. He gave me about 20 minutes, and then we arrived. <laughs> that sounds right. Nothing unusual about that, and nothing repetitious <laughs> about it. No, 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 not hey, at all. I feel like you're being sarcastic. Not, well, no, 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 not at all. No, I, I will, because I do have one rule, and not recently arrived at, maybe uh, 20 years ago, and a lot of people never get there. But I got to give you one sentence of background, two sentences. As a college student, after I got out of the Marine Corps, I concluded, looking in the mirror, that I was adult, that I uh, didn't have uh, <laughs> I didn't have any qualities that were particularly worth preserving. Well, the apple does not so fall far I from the tree. So I sat down and said, "Now, how could I change that?" And one of the things I decided I should do is take some Shakespeare, which has become something of a passion ever since. And I took two graduate courses. Everybody in the class were high school teachers of the subject. So I was way, way over my head. But progressed from the first uh, the first semester, the professor said, Callan, I'm going to pass you just because it would complicate your life if I didn't. But you don't deserve <laughs> passing grade. Uh, and he said, I think I probably am saying something to you that will apply to you for the rest of your life, which I appreciated. He was frank, son of a bitch. Um, but in the second semester, which against his advice that I took, I got a legitimate B plus and I really had to work hard on it. Now, what did I get out of it? Where am I going with this? Shakespeare's major theme, and he created the English language like Dante did in Italian, which I study every day, uh, which Goethe did in German. Every major civilization has somebody created their language. Ours is Shakespeare. With Shakespeare's major theme in almost all his plays, either in a major way or a minor way, is appearance versus reality. Hmm. That they never are congruent. There is always a major difference. You pick the subject and I'll show you the difference so that we are constantly walking into it. It's a great idea if you can convince yourself of it. So so appearances great, are great not, idea often to not enter, the same as enter your daily life expecting that. And you're living here in Hollywood, which is the citadel of appearance versus reality. I mean, Shakespeare would have, if he came back, he died in 1616, but he came back he would be uh, absolutely and totally enthralled to look around, and he'd write 15 plays the first day. It's all over. Yeah. Well, and, and everybody I, here works and lives with appearance. Well, because oh, you yeah. can make money off of just appearance. You can make right. money off of appearing. If the lens is on you longer than the next guy or the next gal, you can turn that into right. money. Right. And so, so the shinier you are... But I am talking about your audience, yeah. not your actors. They know that they're phony and that this whole thing's a fraud. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that they are intentionally fraudulent. I am suggesting that Hollywood. they have learned Hollywood. that trade 
and they do well at it, and the world is entertained by it. But the audience should understand the difference, and much of it doesn't. Well, I'll tell you, people are always shocked when I leave the stage of the comedy store to see, you know, this this force of nature on stage, yeah. and then he leaves the parking lot of the comedy store in a Saturn. And a Saturn. So, yes, the, and the a Saturn. Reality. The reality does not versus match the how you on stage. You're you're glitz. a Ferrari. <laughs> you're a Lamborghini. Right. Lamborghini. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. then you get into a Saturn. Why? Because you're modest. That's right. And I could get anything I want, mm-hmm. but I chose the Saturn with the third door. Appearance versus reality. That's the theme of our show. Um, well, that's the theme of your life. Well, that's that, but but I don't think that's the same as style versus substance, right? Because style has a place. Style's good to look at, and style has its so own does artistic appearance expression. have a place. Yeah, appearance. I don't mean it. to be understood as appearance is a terrible thing, but you'd better not lose track of the fact that that's what it is, and yeah. that reality will always win. I saw something in one of the corny airline magazines the other day. Where are they now? That type of thing. There's yeah. a lot of that mm-hmm. crap. You know, in, in 1975, uh, she was the the mother of the Brady Bunch. Whatever it may have been, they had a, about 15 of them. Where are they now? Some of them are dead. A couple of them were in jail. Um, and but <laughs> well, they were just ask all. Brian, where are you now? They had they <laughs> had know. pictures of all Especially? of them, and they were ugly people. So if they if they if they falsified their what you're calling philosophy into thinking that in those 1970 days when people were looking for their autograph and confusing that with reality, the poor bastards are very dreadfully unhappy. That's you see what the that drug all industry the time. lives on. You see what well, as soon yeah. as that the the the, uh, the sheen goes away. I, I've been going down this rabbit hole. Big Mike, and you may may or may not appreciate this, but I've been going down this deep well of looking up and finding all these great films of yesteryear on Turner Classic Movies on HBO Max, and I, I just watched Some Came Running with Sinatra and Dean Martin and Shirley MacLaine, and I went down this Orson Welles hole, and I, I go to Wikipedia immediately afterwards. Sometimes I order a biography on these actors of yesteryear, and... I think the the sheen of Hollywood, the glamour is gone. Hollywood is no longer what it was in yesteryear. Uh, movie stars are not what they used to be. And you read about these lives and they're so utterly tragic. Judy Garland, one of the most tragic, heartbreaking really? stories offstage. Uh, it just treated like shit by the studio system ever since she was a kid, told to lose weight, pu- putting diet pills on upon her, sexually uh, abused by these studio heads and Same with other actors. Uh, yeah, you go down, you look at all these icons of cinema that you constantly see painted on the side of buildings. And if you spend just a few minutes looking them up, their lives were horrendous yeah horrendous well that's that's like whenever you watch like um what it takes to be a professional athlete like like just like when you see the the men or women on the on the tennis pro circuit Mm -hmm. like what it takes to get to wimbledon you are living without exaggeration you're in a van with your dad or your coach yeah you're living out of a van for years while you go from tournament to tournament and just trying to make it, nursing injuries, dealing with all that stuff. Sure. Baseball, pro baseball, going oh, through yeah, that minor yeah. league system, and you're 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 you know one of the best guys in college. It means nothing. Yeah, it, it, it's all you know. It's it, you might get called up to the majors 
if you're super lucky, and even then, how long are you going to last? It. You know, I, I like athletics because you are what you measure. I mean, if you yeah. can run the hundred yard dash faster than anybody else, there's no gain saying that you can. Yeah. Right. And all the other things. I mean, Michael Jordan, as you know, is a member of the club that I'm in. Though he doesn't come up very often, but when you play golf with Michael Jordan and see how competitive he is and how much how hard he works 24/7 then what he gets is real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you that's know, that a- is, that is reality. Yeah. There there's very little appearance to it. In fact, he doesn't like the appearance. I like that. A lot of great athletes are like that. Yeah. Right? Well, well, you know, you could say uh, Nassim Taleb in Skin in the Game talks about appearance versus reality in a lot of ways. There are a lot of people who work for think tanks and who are in the social science departments of universities, uh, economists. Economists don't necessarily know uh, as much about the economy as an entrepreneur does. Uh, you know, bankers don't necessarily know about as much about the economy, say, as an entrepreneur or, or someone. You know, so, so uh, an influencer is not the same as an artist. Right. You know, um, you know, uh, an investigative journalist is different. That puts something online is different than a, a, an opinion maker on TV, a talking head who's a news anchor. And that is the difference. That's the fundamental difference. And some of it comes from, you know, you, I, I, I'd say I'm, I'm actually writing about this in my standup. You don't it's hard to really learn anything unless you use your hands <laughs> in a way. You got to right. put you got to have what, what Taleb says. You got to have skin in the game. You have to pay a price for when you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're if, not talking about masturbation and things. Like no, that. No, 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 no. For God's sake, you missed my oh, whole point. No, OK. You no, missed no, my no. point. Sorry, Mike. So, now I'm interested. What, what, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, what are we talking yeah, about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, nobody knows the difference, the disparity between, you know, reality versus appearance than what we do for a profession. I mean, stand up comedy, you're seeing you're seeing the best representation of an individual on stage communicating those jokes. Yeah. And you're like, wow, this this seems like a great jovial person. And then off stage, well, I would say 80 percent of the people we work with are incredibly depressed, yeah. have inc- deep-seated issues that they're dealing with in life, and that's the outlet. That's but, the but, but best I like comedy, though, because comedy is reality in terms of whatever you're doing on stage, you either make people laugh or you don't. Your right. agent can't help you. Your publicist can't help Nobody no. can help you. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It gets quiet in that room right quick. Oh, yeah. Toot sweet. <laughs> Toot sweet. <laughs> If you're not, if you don't excuse have me, the goods, me, I think the word is toot sweet. I don't know. Yeah. I say toot sweet yeah. because I, I, I put my English bent on it. <laughs> but let me tell you, man, it gets that. And that would be French for real quick, right quick, as we say in the South, because, you know, and I love that. I love I love that about fighting. I love I say this about fighting, dancing and stand up. Can't fake them. You, I don't care you, you when you're when that cage locks or you're in that ring. You either got the goods or you don't. Yeah. And you don't believe. I hate when people say you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself if you have the skills. But 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 what's interesting about you guys in the business you're in, but not just your business. It's more salient in your business, but in all walks of life. I, I happen to listen to old time radio on on uh, and, and, and when I'm driving and things. I usually I enjoy it. And the other night, I think on the way to the airport. In fact, there was Jack Benny. And Jack Benny had this character named Rochester, who was his Servant. African-American butler. Yeah. And he had this gravelly voice. Hi, boss. You know, that kind of thing. You could never put that on the air today. No. Most of the women who are in these various shows, you could never put that on the air today. So 
everything has changed in terms of what the standards are. And I wonder from time to time, who told all of us to snap to attention and change directions? That happens. Who did that? It happens as injustices are brought to the fore and people just don't want to take it anymore. I think but that's what But it goes to extremes, it's, it's, doesn't it? Always in this country. And you were the, a victim of yeah, it, were the, you not? Yeah, but the pendulum swings all the way to one side and then it'll come back. Every revolution eats its young. So we, we, we have this overcorrection because social capital now comes from. But it can swing to that extreme for quite a while. But, but, but because you get social capital from it. And when the threat, when the threat is very real for non-compliance. When the threat is you can't feed your kids or pay your mortgage because you're about to be canceled, people fall Who's on the step. Who's making all those decisions? I'm, I'm not. It's totally in the clear. zeitgeist. I mean, it'd be like saying who 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 was responsible for the communist revolution. It was a group of very energetic extremists who were young and willing to tear down all the institutions, but didn't know what to what to replace it with other than an ideology. And that's what you're having now. I mean, that, that's a longer. But I don't think there's like, uh, to your point, I don't think there's a headquarters or a centrist group. I think social media has certainly helped spur on the advent of woke culture and all this other horseshit. And I, I maybe you could speak more to this than I could, but I'm trying to find a way to equate it to some something that I've seen within the last hundred years. And the way I kind of analogize it is maybe coming close to the hippie movement where you got a bunch of young kids that are bucking up against the war, peace and love with no Vietnam. And there was this movement for a while and then it spun out of control. And I think this woke culture, I, I don't think will be around forever. I think the pendulum will swing back. Well, you can't no, apply no. The, a lot of the woke. My issue with the woke thing, this critical race theory and all that stuff, you can't apply it. It's, it's impossible to apply it at the level of detail. You can't apply it to well, even, look, everyday life. Even We're, critical race theory, white privilege, those are separate things, right? White privilege is go, is geared towards the fact that you never got pulled over by the cops. Critical race theory is the fact that, you know, what what is it that the lawmakers instituted in law that was racist? So yeah. there's these there's factions of being woke. And, and by the way, it's, it's so not that all of it, it's not all that all of it. it doesn't have value. There, there's there's always value to be gleaned from different things. But you said you read an, you read a a book on Teddy Roosevelt, I think about you, you were saying that a lot of the history we've been taught is bullshit in this country. There is a brutality. Well, well, let's, to say, the, let's take an extreme, and I'm not suggesting this applies here. There are two volumes of biography by Stephen Kotkin of Princeton on Stalin. And you did a review on one of your previous podcasts and got Tim Snyder of Yale to come on. He's the author of a book called uh, Bloodlands, which the London Economist, one of my favorite publications, said you, every sentient human being should read once, and then they should read a second time, and then they should read a third time, because it's a story of industrial killing of millions in Europe between Stalin and Hitler, and we are not, I repeat, we are not talking about the Holocaust, and that's six million. So what Kotkin discovered, and incidentally, full kudos to Boris Yeltsin. As Boris Yeltsin, as president of Russia, and as fervent anti-communist, in fact, he passed a law that it outlawed communism. So Boris Yeltsin opened the, the Kremlin archives to Western scholars. Tim Snyder benefited from it. Stephen Kotkin benefited from it. And what we got out of that, among many, many things, I mean, we're talking about 2,000 pages of text in his, in his uh, biographies, and he's got a third volume coming. Uh, 
that in 1937 1938, the NKVD, reporting personally to Stalin, arrested and executed 800,000 people. None of them had a trial. All of them were innocent. Most of them were turned in by their own family because they have, they were pissed off at their father or brother or whatever. And that's what these kinds of things can come down to. Now, here is a shocker. Uh, I just finished a biography of Mao, which is another very good one, which has a lot of material we haven't had until two years ago. Tell people who Mao Zedong was, because a lot of people don't know. Mao Zedong is the uh, father of modern China. Yeah. And Communist you know, was the leader of the revolution. You mean there are people here that wouldn't yeah, know? Yeah, there about? are a lot of people, who, young people who don't. Cultural revolution. Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong, as we call him today. Mao Zedong is directly responsible for the death of 130 million people. We know that now. Enforced famine, as Stalin did in the Ukraine. All of this in the name of an idea. The idea was the perfectibility of man as outlined by Karl Marx. Don't lose sight of the fact that in the last 100 years ago, which is almost within a lifetime, nobody had ever heard of uh, Vladimir Lenin. He was an exile in Zurich. Nobody knew Adolf Hitler, who was an art student in Vienna. And nobody knew uh, Joseph Stalin, who was a student at a seminar in what we now call Tbilisi. But the amazing thing is you go to China, go to Tiananmen Square, and there they have a mausoleum, and you can walk up to it, look at it, and it's Mao Zedong's body, the murderer of 130 million people. You can go to Tbilisi in Georgia, the birthplace of Stalin, and they have a museum dedicated to him. And he murdered countless millions of people some through starvation in Ukraine, some from shotguns in the back of the head after they were tortured, all in the name of some idea that was perpetrated by Marx. So, I mean, these extremes are what you have to be aware of historically and guard against. I agree. I agree. The idea, the reason The Economist said read it three times, these industrial slaughter of men, women, children, uh, is not unlike if you ever watch wildlife videos. A male lion will take over a pride and kill all of the cubs. It's going and just kill them in, in yeah. a very brutal fashion because he wants the female to come back into estrus so he can spread his genes. Okay, that's mother nature. We're not that far from it when we see what these historic figures have well, done I'd to people. I'd say we're worse. We're a lot worse than that. I mean, that's, that's, well, that's we've crazy. got a prefrontal cortex, which lions don't have. They, yeah. They're following some instincts. The limbic system, we don't have that excuse. Yeah. What do you see as, a, as maybe, given what you've read, what do you see as the biggest threat to society in America right now? The Leviathan, the uh, growth of government. Because government is a coercive incident, instrument, sorry. Government is ordering you to do things. And make no mistake, when government passes a law, especially at the central level, and nobody, the Democrats and the left, doesn't want to ever acknowledge this. But the truth of the matter is, once they've passed a law and they said, okay, now you all have to do this. If you decide you're not going to do that, 
eventually they're going to send people with guns to your house. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's not the way this society was originated. It's not the way it developed, and it's not the way it became what it is. Well, that's right. And people who agree with that side of the argument are fine with it until another government gets in there and is... Now they have all that residual power that was created by the first one. Exactly. When did the shift to... When did that... When did that ha- when did that occur? Post World War II, we we had a, a shocking. If, if we were alive here, and I was, but I wasn't conscious. I'm 1940. We were living before World War II. You would be absolutely astounded mm. at how much freedom you had. And I'm not even arguing that was the halcyon days. That that well, was I mean, virtue. yeah, you had freedom unless you were an African American or Hispanic. Uh, yeah, or, right, right, exactly. I'm not even arguing that was virtue personified. You're African American. You were segregated. You were lynched, and all of that. Uh, no question about you, you it. You said the other day. Our, to me, our great, our great uh, sin is slavery, and we'll never get over it. I mean, yeah. there's no way that we can just say, "Well, forget that." Sorry, sorry. Well, you, you said the other day to me on the phone. You said if you and I were African American, we wouldn't be where we are today. That's always been my view, and yeah. I live in a right wing environment now, and I'm part of forums there, where they sit and they have an echo chamber, and they say all the right wing shibboleths. You know, they're all they're all there. All the slogans are there, and um, I enjoy being the one man out. You know, you, none of you guys be talking this way if you'd been born in Harlem. Yeah. You were born in some little enclave in Provo, Utah. You should be ashamed of yourselves. But I, we're, all, we're always talking about the extremes that we've got to fight against. The extremes are never useful. Yeah. At no time in history of the extremes. Been so how do, you, how, do you, how do you view yourself? Right wing, left wing, middle? I've actually been tested. In my university years, in university environment, we you, know, you volunteered for it, and I said, I'll volunteer for it. So go down the list and say gun control, a rather complicated uh, uh, test. You had five or six choices with a lot of nuance, the way an academic institution was, and I was judged right down the center, which surprised me. Yeah. I, I want to ask you this. What, because you... You served in the military. You were you were a Marine. My father served in the Army. My uncle served. Um, what is it about society these days where I have very few friends that enlisted? Um, what's the disparity there? Why why do you feel that not, it, it just seems like almost like given where you grew up, that dictates if you're going to sign up for the military or not, given your social and economic background. But I, I don't know. What, what do you think? The yeah, it, has some, it has something to do with it. There's no yeah. doubt about that. I mean, I was enraptured by the Marines. They were tough. They were the guys that went in first and all that. I told Brian just before we uh, came here that in a conversation last night at dinner, my family gave me a dinner for my 81st birthday and they all acknowledge it was probably my last <laughs> I didn't really like that part you know but um the, the i said that in the marines we always differentiated we distinguished between the battle-hardened and the candy-ass marines and most of us in peacetime were candy-assed uh, but we did develop a cadre of battle-hardened in Vietnam, 
uh, before that in Korea and so forth. Uh, when, as one Marine said, or let's, let's use a more a noble mind, Winston Churchill said, there is nothing more exhilarating than to be shot at without result. In other words, they don't get hit and killed, but you are shot at, they're trying to kill you. That's an experience you can only have once in your lifetime. And there are some people that react to the left and some to the right and some in the center. The Marines who had been through that experience were a very separate group. Guys, I want to talk to you guys about uh, something that's very important. Um, murder. Um, murder's bad, almost always. Unless, like, say, uh, you had to murder an illness, or you had to murder bacteria that was bad for you, or you had to murder... Like, say somebody was into murder 24-7 and just murdering, murdering, and then you were to murder them, that would probably arguably be a good form of murder. But <clears throat> how about murdering your thirst? Okay, and I don't know if you know this, but like, like say you like, you can't go like if you went a day without food, you'd be fine. But a day without liquid, a day without water, how about two days without water? Every time I go two days without water, I don't feel good. Okay, but guess what? There's a way to murder your thirst, murder it instantly, and I'm talking about liquid death. Yeah, you see, liquid death comes in an aluminum can, first of all, so it murders the plastic problem. And it also is mountain water from the Alps. The Alps is not processed tap water. It's from like the Swiss Alps, maybe even the French Alps. Either way, mountains that are really high up where the air is super clean. And so is the water. And they keep the whole mineral profile. You know what that means? Well, here's the thing. If you, if you water plants with water that doesn't have minerals, like a, a lot of water out there, they die. You think you're that different from a plant, dude? You're not, you're a moving plant. Your cells, you're carbon-based. That means you need electrolytes and you need minerals that live in liquid death and that murders your thirst instantly. Oh. Mm. Now I recommend drinking at least a case a day. That may be a little much for people, but if you don't take your thirst seriously i don't know what to tell you but let's start with a couple cans how's that sound liquid death <laughs> the best oh. mm. tastes like murder <sighs> oh and by the way if you go to liquiddeath.com slash big and hungry you'll get two free koozies with your first case choose whatever koozie they have available i love koozies Not as much as I love that liquid death. In the Marines, if you ever found yourself in that situation, get as close as you can get your ass to a guy who has been in that situation where they're raining down rocket fire and mortars and rifle fire and stick with him because he knows what this is like. He knows the mindset to stay alive and do your duty at the same time. And how many people are like that? Not many. Yeah. What are your What are your regrets when you uh, on your deathbed? I didn't work hard enough at certain things when I was young. Or I <laughs> that's what mine are too. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I think that's we can what all agree on too. that one. Yeah. We all have that shit. Yeah. Like what did What did you uh, 
When you when you say that, what do you mean? Like, what what did you want to work harder? I at? could have gotten much much more out of my university education. I could have gone yeah, on. But you and did done, later on. I though. could have gone on to uh, graduate training that would have held me in very good stead. Uh, and I've always felt that I was well behind some of my peers. Not anymore, though. You have it. So what is it? What would what would that? How would that have changed your life? Because you you have that. You've educated yourself. I had to learn on the job going along, and other peers of mine already had that background yeah but are they doing better than you are today as it turned out for a bunch of accidents i could say because i'm smarter and all that that's all bullshit uh <laughs> because 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 of some accidents time and place and because of your mother mm. one of the greatest assets i have uh, or I fell into was your mother because there was a value system. Her job from the day we got married 56 years ago was to take care of me. And she wasn't always right. And she didn't fail to piss me off almost every day. But her dedication to taking <laughs> marriage, care baby. of me 56 and years. the fact that she had really great common sense and always looked out for my welfare was an absolutely essential ingredient to my success. I've never had an ounce of doubt about it. The only person you can really trust is a spouse who wants to take care of you and really loves you. And I had that. Yeah. And I don't think you need a hell of a lot more. We all have enough intelligence if we use it correctly to do very well in this life. Most of the people you see are they've struggled out of the fourth grade. Well, if I you mean, if you if you had if you could be what would you what would you be if it wasn't a comic what, and you could be great at it? What would it be? He's a comic. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Mike, I do want to ask you at this country club you belong to. Are they serving puppy blood? Because you look like you're 62. Not bad, right? Not bad. He's got a lot of energy. 81. 81, baby. I, I, I keep looking at him like he's 81. I've seen 81-year-old people that can't walk. I know. He's got a lot of passion. I know. He's still got with passion. With Brian's new squeeze, which we couldn't be more delighted with Danny. Maybe new squeeze. Maybe not. But we're driving out driving out to my be driving out to my uh my, great my daughter's house great girl great day and and i am saying well how's your family danny and well my mother and father are doing great my grandfather oh he's going down the tubes he's got advanced dementia and he can barely walk we need a wheelchair and i you know this remember now this is my 81st birthday and i said well gee that's too bad how old is he 81 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Check please. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, lady. Let's change the <laughs> let's change the subject. Change let's the talk about how great the weather is out here and the traffic. Nobody knows they're old. No. You don't. You no. still practice the the guitar. I told him he came in the other day. At 80 years old, and he goes, you, I don't know if you remember this, you just come bouncing in, you go, I figured out what was doing wrong with my golf swing. I wasn't using my whole body. My arms were not going with my body. And, you know, I thought, this this is the guy who's still working on his golf swing. Yep. Well, yeah, you've got to work in your golf swing, for Christ's sake. What else is there to do? I know. You well, know, Italian. What, what are you going to do? Improve your sexual technique <laughs> at this age? <laughs> well, you speak Italian. Certain parts of you don't work. That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, you're kind of not going to get past that. Well, what, what are your... What you can't your... point your toes like you yeah, used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the worst part of the, 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 while we're on the subject of sex, which you guys keep coming back to, but, <laughs> but you know, 
when, <laughs> you you don't even remember. You don't even you get to a certain point. You don't even remember what those feelings were all about or those uh, results were. Your energy goes into. Okay, I, I could see five women walk through here, beauty queens, totally stark naked, and I wouldn't lift my eyes off the page I'm reading. This is yeah. something I want to ask because you're you're of a certain age. We brought it up. I see, like, when you, <laughs> I used to work at a nursing home, okay, when I was in uh, junior high school. So I used to work at a nursing home. <laughs> you look like you were in a nursing home. <laughs> Just joking. And these these people were banging constantly, banging all the time. Really? A lot of sex in the nursing home. Wow. And Are I was, you kidding me? I swear to God. I've heard that. There's The STD rates in nursing homes are skyrocketing of over the last, yeah, over the last 15, 20 years or whatever. So, yeah. so I want to ask, when you, as you get older, do you find yourself attracted? Do you see older women? You're like, oh, yeah. Because when I look at an older woman, like in her 70s, I'm like, oh, I, I feel repulsed because I feel, still feel young. But as you get older, do you, is it something in the condition or, or does your mind allow you self to free up to look at a wo woman that thinks, no, now that's, I no, mean, it, it still stays that, the same that, 20s? That, that's, that's very from person person. For me, it's no. Yeah. Absolutely not. Uh, Brian had a very good friend and uh, a couple. And uh, her name, she's become famous in our family. Her name is Bonnie. I think Bonnie is about your age, right? Maybe 54, yeah. 55. She's a very attractive young woman. And she is sort of our family concierge. She handles even my tax preparation. She does all the stuff you got to do that's a pain in the ass. And I can afford to pay her and she could really use the money. Three children lives over in Maryland. Her husband's an eighth degree black belt, taught Brian his Taekwondo. And that has something to do with my attitude toward her. Because if he ever got a hold of me, he'd find pieces around for weeks. <laughs> but but uh, I, I, the thought of her as a sex object has never crossed my mind. I can't even imagine it. Right. And my wife knows that. Now, there are many, and she knows it. I mean, there are many, I am sure, men my age who would fancy themselves Don Juan and would peek in her shower or whatever they would do. And that's just not who I am, and, mm -hmm. it, and it never has been. But I, I'm sure that's physiological. I'm, I'm sure that the, yeah. that as gets down to the. But you are you business. still the, the, you're you're still practicing Italian. You, your accent, unfortunately, well, my accent is very good. Let's La pronuncia molto bravo. Uh, so, I, you know. so how well do you speak Italian, do you think? Right now, uh, because I've been at it for seven years with the same tutor, um, I'd have to say, you know, nobody, if they don't live in the environment, can ever sit with uh, two, like we are right here in Rome, where they're speaking Italian and follow what's going on. And it too can fast. be very, very frustrating. It's too fast. But I can sit and speak to that Italian guy over there and I can say anything I want on any subject that he's going to completely understand. And my grammar will probably be better than his. But when he comes back to me in the Argo and says, you dumb son of a bitch, who, you know, I'm not, I'm going to say thank you very much. I'm not going to understand what he <laughs> is Because it's too fast saying. and too slimy. Oh, yeah. But You've got to be in the environment every day. You were playing, um, you were playing guitar for a while. Your fingers are simply too big. It's not your thing, right? 
You, did you quit? Did you stop playing the guitar? What? Well, why are we going in this I, I'm direction? I'm asking though? because there's some things you no, probably I shouldn't spend your time doing. I very much enjoy being able to play Twinkle Twinkle Little yeah, Star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's never going to happen. Classics. You're never going to be in a band. So why don't we put the guitar? No, down? but I mean it's very enjoyable. A part of the brain. Look, back up a second. You gave me a whole rash of shit because I talked to you from. The Musical Instrument Museum oh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. Yeah, that was amazing. We were talking to each other. What a great and time! And it that just must turns out, having nothing to do Holy with any shit. of this, that I had attack of a an attack of diarrhea as I was talking to you, so I was rushing to the men's room. But <laughs> strangest. Well, I mean, why is that connected? I have well, no I idea. I, don't I have know. no idea. No idea. But but. I was telling you that when you called and we started talking, I was at the exhibit. And by the way, you can joke all you want. If you ever get down to Scottsdale, it's a world-class exhibit. Never going there. A musical <laughs> Not instrument. a shot, I'm going there. You have been I there. I could give you, a shit. You did a, you did a uh, gig done. No, yeah, but I'm not going to the museum. If I could just finish the thought. Right, go ahead. They, they were showing and demonstrating with video and some technology what part of the brain is stimulated and how it reacts to playing music. Yeah. which is a part of the brain and, and, and an experience, an intellectual experience unlike any other. The one thing no society in the history of the world from the time going back 40,000 years when sapiens first came on the scene, they've all had music. They've all made sounds. Yeah, that's true. That is, that is what separates man. One of the things that separates man from beast, as it were, man from beast. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to get in. The next episode, we'll talk about that museum. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> Big talk. Mike, you, you sound like you've accomplished so much, obviously, in the world of business and in what you've done, and you're studying, and you're literate, and you read. It, it, it sounds like a lot of the, your free time... It, I also it's, swim, by the way. <laughs> it's still, it's still kind of work. Is there something you do to just blow it off? He used to like, fly. Blow what off? I mean, just blow fly. off some steam. I pee. Huh? Keep going. Just blow off some steam. No, I don't have any steam to blow off. As long as I have my wife around, even though, and I say it again, I'll say it in front of her. She drives me nuts with her nagging and all that. But as long as she's there, <laughs> as long as she's there, I just don't build up any steam. That's my that's my security. That's that's uh, as long as she's there, everything is all right. I can't even imagine life without her. If she decided to run off with uh, the the dry cleaning salesman or something, uh, that would be the end of my life. That's the one circumstance under which I could see myself jumping off a cliff. Really? But yeah, yeah. But everybody has, you know, we all we. I don't know if we all have something like that. Right. I mean, I think there are some people that I've talked to about music and and music is that for them or politics there are people that have to run for office and achieve power that's their aphrodisiac and uh, for me it's so uh, you know when i pulled up to the airport the other day she went off to iceland with her cousins uh and uh, a, a female friend and three guys i don't know who the hell they were but anyway um <laughs> and she and she came back after a week and i pulled up we, in fact, didn't even leave the airport. We got on a plane to come here. Uh, and there she was. And uh, that was uh, one of the great feelings that you can possibly have. There she was after 56 years. All in fact, years. we've been together for 60 years. There she was. I and wanna... that's all I wanted. That's it. 
that's a that's a big key to your happiness yeah yeah that is my happiness that that's where it all comes down what i want to ask you what what were your when did you first see your son perform stand-up and what were your initial you did, thoughts you, you didn't tell me he's coming back ah here i am yeah okay. sorry guys <laughs> Uh, we saw him at the Improv in New York. Okay. Yeah, that's right. The first time you saw me actually really do stand-up was the And you the were doing strip. animals at that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Still oh. am. Still am. But I'm, I'm going to stop now. I'm, I'm stopping Jesus with the animals. Christ. That, stopping that was your signature. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, Unfortunately. Uh, some things have not changed, No, sir. they have, though. I've, I've stopped. I'm, I'm done with the animal <laughs> shit. You, it was damn. about making love to a, uh, what was a the A hippo? Animal? Huh? A hippo. No, not a hippo. Yeah, but you saw my that real. Came later. You saw my. You saw the the the. the but I was asking about the act, first time. The, fir the, mm, the very first time. You saw the first time was just. No, I don't remember, but it wasn't even worth talking. What was about. your initial reaction after seeing him, knowing that? He's well, my initial this. reaction was he once told me that I, after about seeing him fifty times, and it was at the comic strip in New York, and he said the first time you've ever laughed. Oh. I was in the audience, and I didn't even think he could see me in the audience. That may have been true, but I think as a father, I was more focused on what other people were doing. Was whatever he was doing there meeting with success? And once mm -hmm. I was satisfied he was, then uh, perhaps I started to laugh. I started to get into the Well, you got like into it that one time we went to the comic strip and we had that family reunion. And you hadn't seen me. I'd been. That was when my, my set for man class was cooking right like i was crushing rooms but he had never seen that because i at right. that point i've been doing stand-up for a long time and so just for a thousand reasons i was in la he just wasn't seeing it sure and so he went and saw for the first time a 45 minute set and i don't know if you remember that but you were laughing and you kept putting your hand in your you were just it, because the first time you'd ever seen me really do something there and the whole family was there i killed that room that right. night but you know the, those moments but that was the first time you really saw me do what I was doing, which is, you know. Fucking a giraffe, fucking a shark. Well, no, I wasn't like, fucking all those things. I was just. The stool was the shark. All right, whatever. man. No, that's, you're, you're cheapening my act. <laughs> when, was that, what, what, when was the first time your parents saw you destroy? My parents were there the first six months I was doing stand-up. They were my two paying customers. Because <laughs> you had to do those bringer shows. They were oh, paying? That's so that's funny. funny. Yeah, so they, to... they would pay to come see me every Saturday because I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. And they would come to New York Comedy Club. They'd come to stand up New York. They'd pay the fifteen dollar cover charge. They were living in New York at the time. They, they, my father was born in Brooklyn. Oh wow! Uh, so, so went back there, and uh, and yeah, they paid, and they sat through two hours sometimes of horrible open mic comedy to watch me do five minutes. Great parents. And eighty percent of the time didn't go well. Twenty percent of the time went well, and that twenty percent is the reason why I kept going back, thinking I've got to get back to that. When was that? But when did they see you really destroy a room? Uh, I I I I I I don't know how to answer that one. I'll, I'll tell you this: I would because this would tether to this question for you. What was the moment you knew that your son was successful in the arts and acting and stand up? When, I got paid? when did you feel confident to to think, okay, I don't have to worry about my son? any longer now i think he's got this i can't identify any particular time or incident but when he started getting um tv appearances when he started getting into movies mm -hmm. and when I, I one time in new york and it wasn't the comic strip it's one down on 23rd street gotham 
Gotham Comedy Club, yeah. And there was a warm-up act, a, a woman I later talked to, and she was in the middle of her 10 minutes or so, and she said, he looked around the room, which was full, and she said, how many of you came here to see Brian Callen? And the hands went up everywhere. Yeah. I mean, everybody's hand went up. That's where Chip and Sue were there and everybody. Yeah, they were all And there. I said, the guy has become more of a headliner than I even realized. Those were the days when you would say, I'm in town. Do you have any room for me at the apartment? And I would say no. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah there was no support there. <laughs> no, there was no. no support. I think I, think I, I because, you know, we're not parents. We were always very proud of our son, as everybody is, but we didn't. What I'm looking for here is a commentary from a German professor who went to listen to him down. In yeah, the, nothing like a commentary from a German professor. He would have had a very intellectual approach, and I think relative to this conversation, it's it's very worthwhile. But we 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 didn't <laughs> Some we German didn't guy. go we didn't go to every time you were on we didn't even we used to get phone calls saying brian's on channel 46 and i remember my automatic response is we don't have a fucking channel 46 <laughs> and hang up you know but but friends and relatives would always call when you were on television yeah so i mean we've always felt a little derelict but once yeah, but we knew way, you were on watch, your way i don't watch it either so uh, i i i don't remember asking you for money a whole lot of times uh, <laughs> no no I what was, you, what, I what's you. it like to see your son on a movie screen i don't think you have <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course I have. I've what? seen you in all the movies you've been in. Well, not that many. Well, um, Hangover 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. Um, and that cop ride along. And, yeah, that's you not know, bad. A few all right. others. All right. He knows yeah, you know, we, knows we, 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 Anthony, have you seen you. Ride Along? Okay, so maybe maybe I was asleep, but, <laughs> but yeah. your mother. How about Hangover 1 and 2? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's seen those. Um, um, what about what about what, the, your your parents never missed a, an episode of Sullivan's Son? No, 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 no. Did you ever put but, them on on the show? Oh yeah, you did. Yeah, my mom. Uh, there was a moment where my mother and Jody Long, who played my mom, uh, they had a scene together, and they were just kind of staring at each. Jody made a joke, a meta joke about you know referring to her, and they just kind of stood and looked at each other for a second. And what I'd done is. Before we filmed that scene, I let everybody in the audience know this is my father, this is my actual mother, Okcha, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, this is the scene. How did you avoid your mom, your Korean mother, your old school Korean mother? Yeah. How did you avoid not having to go to medical school or law school? I She's mean, She was never like that. Really? She was always supportive. And she said, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. Wow. We'll, we'll support you. Because Koreans are hardcore with their kids. Very hardcore, You know, that, yeah. that's, what is it? Did you show me that that, that uh, family guy thing where the Korean dad walks into the 12-year-old and goes, you doctor yet? And he's like, no. Talk to me when you doctor. And just slams the door on him. <laughs> I didn't show it's you that. It's so no. funny, man. Because I know from, from Korean, you know, one of most, my teacher was Korean. And I just know the Koreans are, the way they raise their kids is not so much anymore, maybe. But it used to be hard core still legit yeah but i, I don't i don't how long be, is that? i don't, we don't need to hear heinz bullman who i'm about to read a paragraph from uh was born in germany during the nazi period and got out with his life that kind of story and then became a professor of german at the university of wisconsin and he and i have become very 
friendly. I like academics because they have a discipline that I I, I don't like you academics don't typically. But they went to your show and we wanted them to meet you, uh, and that didn't work out. But you got tickets for him and his wife Suzanne. I'm going to refer to here as my wife's grade school friend and from her neighborhood. So he said. So they saw the show. And yes. then he wrote you afterwards yes. saying, so, so, I want to go, I'd rather truly, go back to the camp. Yeah, yeah. Susan and I spent a truly joyous evening at Brian's performance. As trans, he transcends your normal stand-up comedy performance by a significant margin. His topics are diverse from funny stories of friends and relatives to timely political commentary. But the real difference to most other comics is his delivery. Brian shows that he is an accomplished actor as he crosses the stage with a variety of moves that enhance his narrative. Uh, the audience was laughing throughout his performance, and so were we. Thanks again for the tickets. By the way, he is a true asshole. No, that was probably, <laughs> that last, uh, that was not. Uh, in well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's a, that's a review from a German professor in Wisconsin. A variety of moves that enhance his performance. Yeah. That tells me he's not a great writer. Uh, <laughs> He needs physicality You're to damn right sell I do, buddy. the joke. You're damn right I do. I got to stand up. I got to pull rabbits out of a hat. <laughs> no, Brian's no. certainly one of the most committed acts I've ever I'm, seen I'm on stage. I'm a very committed but... act. I commit. That's the one thing about me. You also, well, and, and what he was saying, what I read in this is that you've changed. <laughs> <laughs> for the better, for the well, better. Well, maybe, maybe I'm an old man now. I'm 55, no, 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 54. no. It's called polish. Polish, polish, if, polish. If you see a uh, name an actor, George Clooney, whomever, in the beginning they're uh, totally capitalizing on good looks and swagger and all that. Yep. And if you see them later, they are practiced professionals, and there's a subtlety to that that not everybody can perceive. What do you think of this question? What, th can since, I tell him something real yes, quick? Yes, yeah. Your son, A, I used to do shows with him in New York, Beecher's Madhouse, in Vegas, etc. I've always found him incredibly hilarious on stage. This was, this is, to me, is a true testament of his talent. There was a night I was at the comedy store, and it was the one night where it seemed like everybody was there. Scheduling-wise, you get a good pocket of guys, you get a good pocket of guys, but this was a night everybody all the heavy hitters were there for some reason on a tuesday and we all created this circle and we're just bullshitting and catching up in the comedy store parking lot and everybody's chiming in or whatever <laughs> and brian pulls up comes up and just takes over this circle of alpha comics and is going through everybody touching my biceps letting me know about how strong and fit I am. he's just I was he's excited going to see all my friends everybody and we are all fucking dying i mean he took over the room and then just left and he walked away and we were like we fucking love that guy and it was one of those moments i'll never forget i just never seen anybody come in and take over a room full of comics and make us all die hysterically and then just leave and then just fucking leave and that's that's the appreciation and love i, I, I think that the comics I have for mark, your son i had to mark everybody's card you got everybody we got a bunch of headliners <laughs> right, yeah. got a bunch of millionaires sitting around hanging out acting like they're the big shots <laughs> you get a free smoothie i gotta come in tech, tech, i gotta tech, come in and make smoothie. sure i gotta mark yeah. wait, wait, what is this i don't i remember you guys when so let's <laughs> yeah. not get too that's not because we, we, we can get into a fisticuffs, we can do a shove around, whatever you want to do. That's right. I mean, yeah. you know, come on. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I wanted to share that with you. No, 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 no. That's a no, good that's, story to hear. Yeah. I was going to ask a question. I can't remember. 
I can't remember what it was, but um, it was, oh yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, it's funny when you look at how <clears throat> your mind progresses, 81, 54, you know, 46, I think, you know, how old now? 30. 30. You change, you, 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 um, when you're younger, new ideas are very seductive. You have a tendency to be more extreme with when you find something that feels, my joke is sort of like if it feels good as you're younger, you equate emotion with truth. When you get older, you realize that if it feels good, you, you kind of ask yourself, why does this feel so good? Who put cocaine in my drink? I'm not paying for this. What's the catch? And, right. and we're right. You know, you get suspicious of things that feel very good. You get suspicious of your own emotions. You even get suspicious of your own logic, you know. And so, it, it, and, and also you're not as willing. My other joke is nobody joins a cult in their 50s. You, 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 you got you to believe, you got to believe that the guy over there, you got to believe everybody else is wrong and only that one guy over there wearing beads, sandals, and a ponytail is the, the right. And it's not until you're like 35 right. you realize... That guy has all the answers. Why are all the women around that guy pregnant? He's mm -hmm. selling his cock, not not salvation. You know, <laughs> right. blah blah blah. And so the real question is: If I were to say to you, as, I, as, as it wouldn't be a bad idea, what if we said nobody under thirty is allowed to vote? That might that might that might usher in a more sensible. A it might usher in a more sensible voting public. I mean, w w I think is eighteen too young. To vote? Well, I mean, we've had societies like that in Europe where you, if you weren't, nobody under 30 ever voted. No woman ever voted. Nobody didn't own land ever voted. Nobody who wasn't connected. They called it a democracy. It was anything but. And they all wore wigs, which were powdered, and they all dressed exactly the same and in accordance with their social status, and nothing ever changed. Hmm. I mean, we've had that. Why? Why would we want to do that again? And by the way, you know, we all have to be aware of the fact that there is no monolithic opinion among an age group or a cohort. You can't say everybody under thirty thinks one way because they don't. They're, I think they're, they're, a lot of the crazies you hear on microphones that you say they're nuts, like this Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who is totally ignorant. I mean, I doubt she even knows there was such a thing called the Soviet Union. Somebody might have mentioned it to her. And there are lessons to be learned. But she's canceled out. She is canceled out by others who are aware, who have a different view. So, I mean, where does... That's why we always talk about the independence. I, I had a meeting with a politician one time in Washington in connection with my job. And I got, believe it or not, 12 minutes with him. I also went to see the President of the United States with John Reed one time. George H.W. at this case. And our appointment in the Oval Office was 12 minutes. And I understand that. So you better make very good use of your time and try to get the message across and be well advised as to what he'll respond to and what he won't. He's got his own set of priorities and so on. But I remember the, the, the staff, before you go in to see this, and he's a household name, you'd all know who he was. But there's also a protocol when you go and see a president, you go and see a senator, not so much a House of Representatives first, but for senators, and you go and see a president, unless it's very well established at a time, you do not walk out into the common wheel and talk about what went on, especially with presidents. You don't. And if you ever do, you'll never see that office again or come anywhere close to it. So, you know, you, you, you walk in and you 
you do your little shtick knowing that there have been 15 people before you who have the opposite story to tell and out of the woodwork. And I remember uh, this senator said to me, Mr. Callan, you're new at this, aren't you? I said, well, you know, I've been on the Hill before, but uh, yeah, you'd have to call me relatively new. And incidentally, their staff look at the SEC records to see who you contributed to. So he knows what part of, what part of the political spectrum you're on. All of this is now a matter of public record. And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said, this, this is fundamental. He said, I walk into a room of 100 people. There's 46 against me no matter what. There are 46 for me no matter what. They would die for me. I'm only interested in the eight in between. Mm. That's how I live. Mm -hmm. And he said, you're one of the first group, the 46 against me. But it's your right. You know, I, I don't want to abolish those people from the face of the earth. Uh, they aren't ever going to vote for me. But I've got enough of that eight in between, so I'm here and not the other guy. And I want to keep it that way. Now, what is it I can do for you? <laughs> Jesus. And you know, they're Jesus. all like that. Whether they give you that little speech or not, that's exactly what. Well, it's there's about. there's appearance versus reality. Yeah, the, it yeah. all is. It all yeah. is. I mean, I said the beginning back. of this. You bring it back. Bring it back. Buddy. He's good at back. a callback. I gotta say, you he's gotta good bring it back. But that's true. Politics is the headlines are just all appearance, especially what yeah. they say. You know that that they'll just buy time with a speech. Or and I asked President Bush because I had also had a lunch with him. Incidentally, I got a, one of my favorite anecdotes. So it's worth sitting, I'm sitting next to him at lunch, and I'm very proud and pleased to be sitting next to the President of the United States before he made a speech. And there were people coming up to him all the time. and say, Mr. President, God bless this and that. And the guy that brought me to the lunch was that Barbara Bush's table at, next to ours. It was in New York at the Hilton Hotel. And, and his wife, you know, the Secret Service was letting people come up and say hello as opposed to, beating them on the head with her pistols. And and so Peggy went over and got Alan and said, Alan, come on over and say hello. And so he did. He was a real estate, Alan Tishman. Uh, and he, he came over and, and Bush got up and said, Alan, I remember you. You were at a fundraiser at so-and-so's house two years ago before he was elected. And Alan and I were walking after he left and Alan and I were walking back to the office and he said i cannot believe he could have remembered who i was for all the people the president meets every day wow. how in the hell could he remember me remember my name and remember where he met me that is a skill politicians have if you don't have it find another profession yeah yeah that's true Jesus. or they have somebody whispering like your ability your to get up in front of 800 people i've always marveled at it mm -hmm. i i couldn't do that yeah you could you can do that. I'd crack I get it pants. from you. This whole time I've been listening to Big Mike talk, I'm like, Jesus, what an accomplished, incredible life. And then to hear you say that, I'm that's like, I got true. one up on you, old man. <laughs> I've been up in true. front of 800. I think that's absolutely true. Everybody well, you've made speeches with, of, with more than that. Yeah, but it's prepared. Yeah, so is mine. So is an act. So is an act. Yeah. You know, you no, made, no, no, you, it you, is, you, but, you had. I remember when you moderated a debate between, he moderated a debate between Henry Kissinger and Zbigniew Brzezinski and and who else was there? I mean, you know, George I mean, Schultz. George Schultz. I mean, oh, some of the biggest names. Yeah. I introduced in Brian politics. to George Schultz, oh, and for the first Christ. time, George in the says you guys. George Schultz's entire was, life, he was secretary. He of became totally tongue-tied. Well, Schultz he said, said to him, 
Uh, oh, Brian, nice to meet you. What do you think of something? And you just froze. I went you... off on something about vegetarians eating meat. I don't know what the fuck I said. It was so embarrassing. And he just looked at me and I remember he rocked up on his toes and he went, okay, nice to meet you. But but was he, George Schultz was Secretary of Defense. Um, Secretary of State. That's right, Secretary, Secretary of State. Secretary of Labor. Yeah. I mean, Secretary a, of State under Ronald Reagan. Yeah, he wrote time. a very good book. Yeah, Schultz was the real deal. Don't ever ask questions like that. Sorry, sorry. No, I, I, I remember him being Secretary of Brian, Defense. just do your hippo fucking bit. All right, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, listen, guys. Um, we really did it. We did it. We did it. We brought Big Mike on. Thank you, sir, for spending time with us today. And my, happy belated birthday. My pleasure, and thank you very much. 81 years old, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you yep. wrote all that stuff down. 81 years old, and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he doesn't really follow any diet plans. Just kind of does what really? he wants. Never been a smoker. Never been a drinker. crazy. Never been a smoker or a drinker. Good genetics. You got good genetics, huh? Yeah. The genes help. Yeah. I don't know you if they're everything, to. but they're close. What are you, you're Irish? You got Irish, German? And by the way, genes, you can have a package of genes because, you know, it's a random process from the same parents, which are better than a brother might be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That. yeah, that's right. Lucky, lucky. Lucky, lucky. What are you, Irish and German? Yeah. 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 Italian and, Irish, and, Irish, and, and German. Irish and German. Yeah, and I'm Korean and Irish, Caucasian and Asian, which makes me Caucasian. Caucasian That's the joke, German. people. That's the joke. There it is. Anthony, Nothing from Big Mike. I'll keep why? trying. I'm curious why you also aren't. How tall are you? Six three. Six four. Six four. He's a big boy. I'm curious why you're not. Because my mom is five two. Ah. Uh, my mom's a tiny Italian, Southern Italian woman. Okay. He's a giant. My wife is a lion tamer in the traditional sense. He had huge, it, powerful cats that don't do anything but what they're told. Yeah, but you, you actually have your <laughs> genetics. I think I'm right about this. I think you had the best eyes the Marine Corps had ever seen, right? Yeah, at the time. Yeah. 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 He had crazy eyes. And I got malaria, I have really good eyes. malaria, and they went to hell with the. Uh, oh, you got malaria? Yeah, yeah, when I was in Asia. and But your and eyes still were twin. They went back to 2020. Malaria could attack, attack the optic nerve. But you, your eyes went back to 2020. You, you never, you didn't need glasses until... Oh, I got this LASIK stuff. Yeah, but when did you actually need glasses to read? No, I think, you know, my 40s. And 50s. Oh, okay. So normal. Because yeah. I never remember you having glasses. Well, it has something to do with how much you read. But you, you didn't need glasses for just walking around, though, is what I'm saying. Hmm. No, you, you still don't really, do you? Not really, but I like to be able to read a sign at a certain distance, although it's I couldn't do. But I mean, you can, if I, if I, if I, I can read that sign there, um, uh, please do not piss on the floor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but your eyes, you, you can see, what I'm saying is at 81, if you don't have glasses on, you can see me from, you know, 40 yards, 50 yards away. Sure, a lot of people so can most. I don't know about that. People. No, to, I, mean, oh, to, I just want to say to all the listeners and viewers watching, if you're concerned about Big Mike's um, optics, yeah, just remember okay. to recap, uh, he got glasses in his 40s. Yeah. When he was in Asia, <laughs> he got malaria that caused the loss of vision. He also had chlamydia, but we're not no, talking about that. That was in Asia. I, he's I, a young guy. I, he's swinging. He's, I, he's having fun, baby. I, I don't know. Sure. I don't know if he said that. We, well, we spent eight minutes talking about Big, Big Mike's. He really knows how to hurt a guy. Eyes. I have been married. Uh, well, I've been with the same woman for <laughs> 60 years and that kind of crimps your lifestyle yeah 
<laughs> yeah, that's why, though, Anthony. I, I, you, I didn't, you I didn't guys, get his you bone guys, structure. You, know, you do these podcasts and you get old codgers and, you know, what did you learn? And I said, parents first real. But I would say if, if you had to get it down to a more basic level, pedestrian level, find the right partner. I heard somebody say that. I said, I used to want my kids to find what it is they wanted to do with their life. And now I wish them the, uh, a soulmate, yeah. a partner. That's uh, You'll save a lot of time and heartache and problems if you find the right gal, man. I'll tell you that much. Or right guy. <laughs> or right they. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or right they. Do you know what I'm saying, bro? I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Big Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Everybody, we'll see you. Uh, where are you going to be? I'll be on the road. Go to steveburnlive.com, but I'll be in uh, I'll be in Chicago. I'll be in Port Charlotte. I'll be in Philadelphia at Soul Joe's. I'll be at Tampa at Side Splitters. I'll be doing the grand opening of the Milwaukee Improv August Ooh, 19th through the 21st. That's where this guy's from originally, Milwaukee. You must well, mil- you mil- you miss Milwaukee a lot, don't you? Oh yeah, sure. I do. <laughs> I do. I get nervous flying over it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Milwaukee Improv. I, they they open an improv in Milwaukee. Yeah. Holy shit. Very excited. I didn't know that. I'm going to be there, obviously, eventually. You will. Don't the forget Mil- your Roman collar. No. Yeah. The Milwaukee Improv. Shit. Let's talk about his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Vasani Theater, do me a favor and have the pasta with oh, just I'm garlic and deep. oil. Oh, bro. Just garlic and oil? Okay. Uh, I went deep on that food. That yeah. food has got something to say. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's the Visani Theater, which what? Where well, I'm, I'm on the side of a road. There's a swamp next door. A There's castle. a dinosaur that lives in that fucking swamp. When you get there at night, you're like, I'm not straying from the road because something's gonna drag something's me. Gonna eat me. Yeah. I'll never be seen. When you take a piss on the side of the road in Florida, those forests are so twisted and deep. Like anything could happen. If if you said I got sucked into a different portal and I met gremlins, I'd go. That's because Florida, because Florida Everglades slash forest. You take a piss on the side of the road, you better mind your P's and Q's. Water moccasins, fucking alligators, and maybe a crocodile, maybe an American crocodile or a Nile crocodile. They think they're there because they got there by accident. The whole thing's a disaster. The whole thing's a disaster. (laughs) This is like your first set. May as well be, dude. Yeah. Don't mess around. When you get to the Visani Theater, Go from the parking lot to your gig. Don't wander the way you do. Don't wander in the woods. Okay. All, All right. right. I won't. Thumb in your shitter <laughs> the way you do. Yeah. Looking around for gold. Yeah. Because okay. that's what you do. Don't don't get your head in the clouds being a little dreamer and disappearing into those twisted Everglades. Because you, you ain't built for the Everglades, bro. Okay, I understand. Okay? Can we wrap this up? No, because the be? mosquitoes will kill you. I'm not even giving my dates. <laughs> Albany, New York. Hold the on, funny Albany, bone. the funny bone. Me and Duff Davidoff. You guys, if you don't know one Duff Davidoff, one of the great, one of the great comics. I'm bringing him up. He wants to feature. I call it a co-headlining spot. He's too great. He's too great to be yeah. featuring. June 18, 19. Philadelphia, Philadelphia Helium, one of my favorite clubs ever. June 25, 26, 27. Get your tickets because I, I hope they're not at limited capacity because I got I sell that place out and I love it. Hartford, Connecticut. Never been to the Funny Bone up there. July 30th, You'll 31st. You'll love that mall. <laughs> is it a mall? Well, I'll tell you, good luck because the stage is underneath Elaine Bryant. So <laughs> you're creaking, run. Good. Well, I'll find a place to... <laughs> it's a joke, Big Mike. It's an oversized right. woman's clothing store. So if you, fuck it. Whatever. Right. <laughs> When'd you get glasses? Here we go. (laughs) This has been another episode of Big and Hungry, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much.